It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Courtney Estalfi and Layla Tassi. And I got to say, we're getting hammered by people for not doing more reporting on the current state of COVID in Northeast Ohio. Not our fault. The state has completely bollocks the reporting. We're doing our best to say what it is. We'll have a story today. But there are people that are telling me they feel completely abandoned by the government, particularly parents of kids under five. And Layla, that's something I think you can identify with. I absolutely with. can. And we should just th- just ho- throw them in the fire. I'm so angry about this. <laughs> They've just You've been kicked to the curb. I mean, everybody is absolutely. moving on. And... And you're left to, and boy, I'm hearing it. And they're, they're like not happy with us and we're doing the best we can. But th- this is a complete and wholesale failure of the state health department. And I think it's intentional because Mike DeWine facing a tough reelection battle doesn't want people talking about COVID. I do think we're seeing some numbers we'll report today that show that it is rising in Northeast Ohio uh, and the positivity rate, which the state has stopped reporting we're, we're seeing some evidence that that also is going up. So we'll have a story today. We're doing the best we can. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Let's begin. It's the final showdown. The gerrymandering battle has a six-week window to come together. And we have multiple agents in this thing. Federal court ruling last night. Layla sets the stage for the OK Corral <laughs> of government fights. <laughs> I so want to do the loo loo loo. So, yes, last night the federal panel of judges broke this news with their two to one decision not to intervene in the state's redistricting case until May 28th. After which, if the state's redistricting commission has not produced a new map plan, the federal court says then it will impose. The third map that Ohio Supreme Court had already rejected as an illegal pro-GOP gerrymander, and it will order the state legislative races to be held August 2nd. Of course, when the Ohio Supreme Court rejected that fourth set of maps, when was that, last week? I'm so <laughs> mixed up. Yeah, they, it was last They week. gave the redistricting commission until May 6th to come up with yet another plan, and the Republican-dominated commission hasn't done jack to get started since then so clearly they were pretty much banking on the federal court's intervention through this republican-backed lawsuit that was filed back in february in federal court as a way to bypass the supreme court and the federal court had earlier given the state until yesterday april 20th to figure out this whole mess so that was supposed to be the drop dead deadline after that the federal court had said it was gonna step in and start calling the shots and The Republicans in action in the redistricting process shows that that's what they were hoping for and expecting. So the question was really, why did the federal court issue the state this five and a half week reprieve in the deadline? I have a theory. I got a theory. (laughs) I think that the Supreme Court opinion had an entire section aimed at the federal judges saying, hey, you got no jurisdiction here. You got no grounds. Let Ohio do this. And what I think the federal judges did was say, "Okay, Supreme Court. You got six weeks. You wanna you wanna get this done? Get it done. So 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 think about this. This is just I've never seen anything like this. It's a delicious battle of the different levels of government. 
on the one hand, you got the Republicans on the redistricting commission that refuse to do their job. They've been trying to run out the clock since back in September to force in gerrymandered maps to maintain disproportionate control. It's a shameful abandonment of their duty. We've talked about it repeatedly. So their goal now is to run out the six-week yeah, clock. Yeah, they're going to do it. You have, they're going to do it. Now, yeah. uh, you got the Ohio Supreme Court that has a contempt citation possibly pending for them refusing to do their job. And they have that, that deadline of May 2nd to come in with maps. So... This really is in Maureen O'Connor's hands. She has six weeks to use the powers of the Supreme Court to force these guys to do their job, to hold them accountable for the people of Ohio, or we get maps that we know are unconstitutional because they've been thrown out. It's amazing. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think your theory, uh, your theory on how why the federal court had this change of heart is 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 probably spot on. It kind of caught us by surprise. You know, we had Bob Higgs take a look at that uh, language and ask some legal experts in advance of of the federal court's opinion, and and we were we were kind of caught off guard. I didn't expect that they were going to do that, um, and and it turned out they did. They did do this about face. I mean, they didn't. It, I mean, it was, it, it was, it's a reprieve. I mean, it's, it's a five week reprieve, but they didn't, I mean, of course we still, they still. Look, Maureen <laughs> O'Connor threw a brush back pitch, man. I, you know, wait, I'm not a lawyer, but I play one on the podcast. She threw, <laughs> she threw the brush back pitch so glad and, you the, and, the, that. and the federal judges went, okay, yeah, all right, that you say so you say that Ohio can get this done. You say you were close. Okay. Maureen O'Connor. Get it yeah. done. You got until the end of May. So, I, I, you know, the, the, Mike DeWine, Frank LaRose, all these guys, Huffman, Cup, they're going to do everything they can not to follow the will of the people and do their jobs, which really is unconscionable. We've talked about it so long, I think we're numb to it. But it is unconscionable how they are abandoning their duties. It's like they should all be removed from office. And Maureen O'Connor and the three Democrats on the Supreme Court are the only thing that might make this happen. Right. Otherwise, we get gerrymandered maps yeah. that we'll be voting on come fall. Yeah, you know, so, the, legal, the legal experts that Bob talked to said that this was really artfully done, too, that it was it was done in such a way that it was written strongly, but but not necessarily a shot across the bow. They, they didn't go so far as to do that because, you know, of course, they don't want to alienate their federal colleagues. They don't want to push them into, into action. You know, you still want to be, you still want to treat these matters delicately, but they carved right. out the space in their decision to send them that message and um, and that's just incredibly, incredibly unique behavior from the state's high court. And it and it right. seems to have worked, at least partially. We, we might still end up with a crappy outcome, but they at least abandoned that deadline. I, I thought that section of the opinion was just brilliant strategy. I was it was just I was charmed reading it because <laughs> you appreciate thoughtful writing. So big showdown, big drama, the, the various branches of government at each other's throats. And I still think there's a chance of orange jumpsuits. <laughs> we'll see. It's today in Ohio. 
Are John Cranley and Nan Whaley finally acting like candidates who are running against each other instead of candidates who are running against Mike DeWine? Layla, I've been amazed throughout this campaign by the Democrats seeking to be governor how much they talk about Mike DeWine when they have a primary That's race true. where they're fighting with each yeah, other. Ger- so are they finally? <laughs> Jeremy Pelzer reports, you know, the gloves are finally coming off. It was it was pretty noticeable, I guess, on Wednesday during this lunchtime forum that was held by the Columbus Metropolitan Club. Whaley, who, of course, is the, the former mayor, of Dayton was accusing Cranley of of overstating the financial benefits of his marijuana legalization plan. Uh, You know, she she uh, again criticized his past opposition to abortion. And and she said it was it was time for Democrats to nominate someone besides a, quote, moderate white man for governor. And then Cranley, who launched his first attack ad of the campaign just hours before uh, you know, claiming that Dayton declined under Whaley. He he focused more on making specific policy proposals, vowing, for example, to set up a federal qualified health care center in every county in Ohio if he's elected. But, you know, earlier on Wednesday, Whaley's campaign released this strongly worded statement, statement condemning Cranley's attack ad. Other mayors also came out uh, condemning it as well. Um, you know, so so it was getting pretty nasty. But of course, you know, both Whaley and Cranley eventually turned most of their ire on DeWine. Jeremy said that he, that they even criticized him over Intel's decision to build that $20 billion semiconductor factory outside of Columbus, which DeWine says is this historic accomplishment for Ohio. And it is, you know, Whaley and Cranley complained about the lack of transparency regarding state incentives and, and that, that went into, you know, went to Intel, among other things. They also took aim at at the new permitless carry firearms bill and cuts to local government funding. So, you know, they're taking jabs at one another, but they're still keeping their focus on on DeWine. Yeah, and I'm sure whoever wins will get the support of the other. I have been, we when Seth Richardson and I talked to each of them for the special episodes of Today in Ohio, as we ended, we asked them, hey, we spent the whole time here. You talking about the wine. What about your opponent? Why are you better than your opponent? And they said some stuff. But yesterday was the first time it really flashed. And it, it's yeah, they're, they're coming into the final weeks. You got to tell the voters why you're the superior candidate. It's easy to say I'm better than Mike DeWine, but why are you better than each other? And they did. It's today in Ohio. Why is Cleveland mounting an offensive to stop a move by the state to shift the burden of police and fire pension costs to the cities? Courtney, we've talked about this in the past, but Cleveland under Mayor Bibb is getting its ire up, ready to fight back. Yes, yeah, so the the chief financial officer of the city, Ahmed Abunama, is going to go to Columbus. That could be as early as Wednesday. Not really sure when, but he's going to go down there with a bunch of other city officials and provide opponent testimony to this bill that would cost Cleveland a pretty penny each year. And, you know, Abunama, during a recent city council hearing pointed to this as you know we know that cleveland is facing a a big issue with income tax potentially here coming up because of work from home rules but this is an extra little fun cherry on top that they don't want to contend with either it would cost the city 11 million dollars a year under this proposed bill that he's going to go down and, and testify against who knows if it does anything but at least cleveland officials are in the mix and making their voices heard in columbus Well, we've talked about how the gerrymandered legislature 
over the, the recent years, and, and even with John Kasich as governor and Mike DeWine, has kind of declared war on the cities. They have, they have repeatedly taken resources away from the cities. They've cut the local government funds. They've changed the tax structure. And it always benefits the rural areas, and it always hurts the cities. And this seems like the latest step to stick it to the cities. Dave Yost has done stuff the same way. And, you know, I, it, it feels like with the gerrymandered legislature, the cities have no representation. There's no way to stop the sacking of the cities by the number of legislators that are from rural areas. Yeah, and, and who knows if this effort's going to be successful, right? But maybe you guys can provide some context here. The vibes I'm getting at City Hall, and maybe this is off, but um, is that maybe under the last administration, we weren't really teaming up with other cities around the state and and using our voice the way others have. Is is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I I think during the Frank Jackson years, they would fight the city on things like gun laws and things, but they did it alone. They weren't even a member of the the big cities group. Something Justin Bibb joined immediately. Uh, the problem though is that that the number of legislators that represent the cities is democratic and far smaller than the number of Republican legislators from the rural areas. And so we're the machines. The cities are the economic machines of this state, but the rural areas keep, keep on taking away the, the, the cash. This is another shifting of those resources. Yeah. And it's, um, it's substantial probably for any city, but especially cities with um, large salaries and large workforces for police and fire it's it's going to be substantial in the budget if this if this goes through. Well, we wish them the best. I don't think they're going to have much success. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Is the Ohio legislature moving on legalizing marijuana before the May 20th deadline when a failure to act likely means voters will get the question on the November ballot? Layla, I'm surprised that the Republicans are not doing this because if this is on the ballot, it, the belief is it will help Democrats get elected. And so the thought was the Republicans don't want this on the ballot. They know that they should probably legalize it and they were going to do it. But so far, not. What's mm, happening? Tricky because Democrats are a bunch of stoners, eh? That's that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it, frankly, it doesn't it doesn't seem like the legislature has any appetite for this at all, given how many conservatives conservatives are among the ranks there. But Laura Hancock reports that state representatives Casey Weinstein of Hudson and Terrence Upchurch of Cleveland are introducing a bill to advance the planned initiative initiated statute by the coalition to regulate marijuana like alcohol, which is made up of Ohio medical marijuana business owners who obviously want to expand. Since July, this coalition has been working toward getting this measure on the November 8th ballot which has involved submitting ballot language and collecting signatures. On January, on January 28th, the coalition cleared that, that latest hurdle when Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose sent the plan to the legislature. The Ohio General Assembly has until May 28th to pass a bill based on the plan or one similar to it, but the Republican-dominated legislature hasn't yet seen a bill based on the coalition plan until now. If the legislature doesn't pass this bill, the coalition would then have to collect more signatures to get it on the November 8th ballot. 
I mean, the, the idea behind this is that it would allow people ages 21 and older to grow, possess, and, and purchase marijuana. It would levy a 10% tax on marijuana purchases with revenue going towards substance abuse and, and um, additional research to communities with, with dispensaries and to job creation. Um, but, you know, they've tried this before, didn't really, you know, get traction in the legislature, didn't receive any hearings. I think they're going to have to yeah. be getting it up. They're going to be collecting those signatures. Once this began, the word in the legislature was the Republicans would pass it, that they would they would take care of this to avoid it being on the ballot, which is what the, the people behind it really wanted to happen. They really don't want to have to go and get more signatures. But something happened, I guess, to change that because they haven't done it and they're running out of time. Uh, the Democrats are getting a bill out there just to try and get it discussed, but the Democrats have no sway whatsoever. Uh, and I think you're right. I think this will probably head to a signature collection and it'll be on the ballot where it is likely to pass. Every poll shows that people think this should be legal. So we'll have to see. I, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised it's come to this. Another May 28th deadline. <laughs> you're listening to Today in Ohio. How is Akron trying to save residents a bundle of money on sewer bills, and why is the EPA balking? Courtney, the the battle in Akron with the EPA over its sewage systems got really testy under the previous mayor. I mean, they were really going at it hard. But under Mayor Horrigan, things have worked pretty efficiently and things have moved along they've done they've taken the steps to reduce the raw sewage going into the Cuyahoga River they have an idea here that'll save some money to to get to the same goal but no dice with the EPA yeah so like you said this mayor has 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 worked with the EPA he's he's crafted two prior amendments that have resulted in savings of millions of dollars for ratepayers, right? And he wants to do it again. Um, and, 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 and how he wants to change the consent decree this time around, two ways, basically. One, he wants to downsize the diameter of a tunnel that's part of a north side of town project from 24 feet to 16 feet. He also wants to eliminate the need for a water treatment facility next to the towpath trail. Um, the city saying that facility would only need to operate three times a year. For, for little environmental benefit. And same thing with the pipe replacement. It would probably be fine in most circumstances. But the EPA is um, putting its foot down on, on these requests. Now, you can imagine how those two changes would, would save folks a bundle of money, right? A whole new facility. But um, we don't really have clarity, it seems, yet about why the AP, EPA is saying no to these proposed changes. Now, there is a whole a whole process that could unfold as part of the consent decree, a dispute through the courts, um, where it sounds like the EPA would have to say why it's opposed to this. But right now we don't really have clarity, and it seems that the mayor the mayor's wants answers about, he's calling these costs burdensome and inequitable for Akron's most vulnerable. So he wants some, some answers from the EPA about why are you saddling ratepayers with, with these expenses why 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 isn't there some flexibility here yeah, and i suspect that the epa is still somewhat sensitive to the very harsh battles it had in court with the previous mayor what what's odd though is the rules have changed since they entered their consent decree 
So Lakewood has been going through a similar process, but it but it's easier for the cities now because of the way the rules have changed. And I suspect those rule changes would have allowed all of what they're talking about here. So if it did go to court, I would think that they'd have a better chance of getting it done. Uh, and maybe it's just they need to make nice with the EPA, but it, it doesn't seem like what they're asking for is unreasonable. And, you know, people are feeling the tax burden. I mean, they're, they're, there's a lot of people that are looking at how much fees have gone up for things like water and sewer and saying, come on, stop it. So we'll, we'll have to see if it ends up in another court battle. It had been nice to see Akron and the EPA playing nice under the Horrigan administration. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How many more people died in Ohio than would be expected in the two years when the pandemic raged? These are alarming numbers. We all know that the pandemic killed a lot of people, but the patterns are what are striking in this story. Yeah, the the data is is pretty devastating and, and also very fascinating. Reporter Zach Smith tells us that in Ohio, deaths from from all causes shot up 16.1 percent in 2020 as the pandemic took off and then another 2.7 percent on top of that in 2021 in those two years about 45,000 more ohioans died than would have been expected if pre-pandemic patterns had continued And the reason he dug into this is because a recent report found that Ohio had one of the highest increased mortality rates in the country. And um, so, you know, he wanted to know more about that. And uh, Zach found a geographic divide with sharper increases in deaths in, in Ohio's smaller counties and less severe numbers in the urban areas such as Cuyahoga County. But trends really went beyond geography to vaccinations and even politics. The death rates went up faster in rural areas, and the gap in death rates between rural and urban areas widened in 2021 after vaccines became really widely available. Half of the 10 counties with the highest mortality rates are among the most rural counties in the state. And the most rural county in Ohio, which is Vinton County, had the highest mortality rate increase at 65.4% from 2019 to 2022. Some of the least vaccinated counties have seen the largest increase in mortality rates. Coshocton, which had 38.9% vaccination rate, had a 52.1% mortality increase from 2019 to 2022. Vinton had a 38.9% vaccination rate and a 65.4% mortality increase. So just just incredible. I, I also found it very interesting, the, the political uh, part of this story. We know that political affiliation often correlated with the anti-vaccination sentiment across America, really, but in Ohio especially. In the 81 Ohio counties that voted for Trump, the death rate in the second half of, of 2021 after vaccines were available for Ohio adults of any age, the death rate increased by 32.14% over the second half of 2019 ahead of the pandemic. Yet in the seven blue counties that went for Joe Biden, including six of the largest counties in Ohio plus Athens County, deaths increased by only 19.15% over the same period, which is, I mean, that's that's just... You, un, well, it's the vaccine con- and the mask wearing. Yeah, I'm amazing. I mean, it, it, this 
Yeah, people got vaccinated and they wore masks. This is the kind of story that has people pinging us saying, can you please tell us what the current state is? Um, people are just frustrated. And, you know, I don't know if everybody realizes the state used to have daily reports on numbers. A few months ago, they went to weekly reports that are a little bit dated. And then last week, because they're incompetent at the health department, they had a bunch of extra uncounted cases from earlier come in from Lucas County. So the weekly report was useless. You could not tell whether the trend was up or down. And people are hot about it. They want to know, when I go out, am I being exposed? And so they're relying on social media rumors and things to see what's going on. Um, and it, it's stories about death and infections that get them get them so worried like i said at the top of the podcast we'll have something we publish today based on the indicators that are available uh hopefully they'll have some semblance of accuracy that can give people an idea of whether that omicron b variant is on the rage here you're listening to today in ohio how did first energy lose a battle wednesday to keep secret more documents that contain details about its admitted role in the HB6 State House bribery scandal. Courtney, we know they paid $60 million in bribes, and we know they were really bad in this thing, but they're still trying to hold back some records. It's bizarre because they've pleaded guilty. Yes, and the Public Utilities Commission said, said, nope, turn them over to this consumer watchdog group, Ohio Consumers Council. So First Energy wanted to drag its feet on, on the release of these documents so they could review and and redact them for unrelated information, but uh, Puko said no, and 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 these records are, are ones that First Energy gave to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission as part of an audit. That audit in February found First Energy improperly accounted for more than the sixty million for, or well, for part of seventy-one million dollars it used to lobby for HP six, um, and. So there's that batch of documents. Then there's another batch of documents that have to be turned over to this watchdog related to lobbying expenses, donations, costs that, quote, lacked proper supporting documentation. So a bunch of stuff is 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 moving over. But that does not necessarily mean the public's going to see this stuff immediately from the watchdog group. And I thought that was interesting here. But we'll see them. Look, whenever somebody tries to keep secret the documents, you know there's those documents you want to look at. So I'm sure these will be revelatory. And let's remember, First Energy assured all of us that they didn't use any customer money in the bribery scheme. Then they turned these records over for a national audit, and the audit came out and said, yes, you did. So we're looking for information on that, that they are trying so hard to keep secret. This is a good ruling. It's good for public disclosure. Can't wait to see the stories. Our team writes once we get these documents. Worst thing you can do is tell <laughs> reporters, yeah, these are the documents we want to keep secret because it's like you get a beat on those. Those are the documents we want to read. And now we will eventually. It's today in Ohio. All right, let's try to get through this one without hearing the earworm of the theme song. What is the new home of the IX Center's iconic Ferris wheel, oh, a mainstay too late, too late. of the defunct <laughs> IX Indoor Amusement <laughs> Park? Are you going to start singing it for us, Chris? <laughs> no, Layla's the singer on this podcast. Oh, the Ferris wheel, the one we all know, 125 feet tall, 
it's headed to Canton. Um, it's going to be placed in the Hall of Fame Village, this new resort project that they're building next to the Pro Football Hall of Fame down there. It's going to be the only Ferris wheel in Stark County, if I read that right, which I think is fun. Um, it's going to be part of this three and a half acre like play action center. There's going to be an amphitheater, a zip line from the IX Center. They're also moving down there. You know, a water fountain, space for food trucks, a bar, hangout, fun kind of a space. And the Ferris wheel is um, going to sit there. I, I think it's interesting that the new lesser of the IX Center, Industri- Industrial Realty Group, they're involved in this this project in Akron. So it seems like they moved the, the, the Ferris wheel from one property to another. Okay, so you both grew up around here. I did not. Is this something that you have ridden? <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's the thrill of an indoor Ferris wheel? Not I don't care. Yeah, it was kind of kind of lame. Oh, I'm going to get lambasted for saying that. Courtney, Courtney is from Sandusky, okay? She's from <laughs> she's from Cedar Point. Yeah, I mean, it didn't hold a candle, I will say that. <laughs> and from what I understand, that indoor amusement park, because it's indoor, was just god-awful noisy. That you'd go in and it was just cacophony, you know, deafeningly loud. So what is fun about okay. that? Well, It'll Nothing. it'll be but you did it nice anyway. Yeah. My strongest memory of the IX indoor amusement park was getting sick there. So <laughs> like it was nauseating like, you know, spinny rides. It's just terrible. So Was it just a product of the Cleveland winter where you had to you had to have yeah, somewhere to I mean, go when it was yeah, all gray like, and dreary? When you're you a know. little kid, it looks exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Some random cousin is in town, what are you gonna do with them? Right. Take them there. <laughs> Well, now you can visit that icon of your youth (laughs) by going down to the Football Hall of Fame. It's Today in Ohio. That does it for a Thursday discussion. I think we'll have a full house of panelists tomorrow to wrap up the week of news. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks, Layla. Thank you for listening. 